Please, brothers and sisters, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12 and verses 13 to 17. Mark, chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. Mark, chapter 12 and verses 13 to 17. Brothers and sisters, please then hear with me the reading of God's inerrant word. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at it. Thus far as a reading of God's Word. (laughs) Well, we've heard it said, there are two things you never talk about. Religion and politics. Well, brothers and sisters, we are going to ignore that caution this morning and we are going to talk about them both. And we are going to do so because the Scriptures do. And wherever the Scriptures speak, so do we. Uh, We don't run from, overlook, sugarcoat God's Word, but rather prayerfully and by the aid of the Spirit, we faithfully teach God's Word submitting ourselves to whatever God has revealed to man. For the Scriptures are for the Christian, our our rule of faith and practice. And it's in the Scriptures that God reveals to us His will for man. What it is we are to believe. How it is we ought to to live. And And part of that includes how we are to view the government. And how we are to respond to their exercise of authority over us. Now, this is not only a a hot-button topic or issue between Christians and the world, but this is also a a hot-button issue amongst Christians themselves. As there is often a, a spectrum of views amongst Christians about what the role of the Christian is to the government. And on that spectrum, I think we, could, we can maybe point out two of the ends. And opposite ends at that. One of the ends says that it is the church's job to transform the government. Right? We are to, to Christianize the government. And through Christianizing the government, the government then rules the nation according to not only the moral law, 
but, through, but the judicial law of the Bible. And in doing so, we will bring in the kingdom of God. On the other end, you have Christians who say, well, we should not participate or have anything to do with government at all. And in fact, they view government as something bad or even evil. And in between those, those two ends, you have a, probably a spectrum of views there. But both of those views on opposite ends of the spectrum suffer from the same problem. And that is that they fail to recognize the true nature of God's two kingdoms. That civil or common kingdom, we might call it, in which all people, believer and unbeliever alike, must live. And then the spiritual kingdom, or God's redemptive kingdom, which is made up of only the redeemed, which is God's church. For those who believe that we bring the kingdom in through Christianizing the government, they conflate those two kingdoms and make them one. On the other hand, those who think we should have nothing to do with government make them polar opposites, not recognizing their points of agreement. And their point of agreement is this, that God has established both of them and God rules over both of them. But one is temporal and it serves temporal purposes and the other is eternal and he serves eternal purposes. But both are divinely ordained by God and so we must render to them what is due to them. And this is what Jesus explains in his encounter with the Pharisees and the Herodians in our text this morning. As they ask this question which the Jews of the first century had to struggle with. And that was, how do we view the Roman government who we are subject to? Right? How are we to view the Roman government whom we are subject to? And brothers and sisters, as we are well aware, this is a, a question that, that is very relevant to us today, isn't it? Right? We have to ask ourselves, living in the United States of America, how are we to view our governing authorities? And in light of what we are called to believe, how are we then to live and act in this world? And this is what Jesus, we're going to see, explains in His encounter today then. And we're going to then look at this under three main points this morning. And the three points are this. So point number one, distressing circumstances. Distressing circumstances. Point number two, Duty to Caesar. Duty to Caesar. Point number three. Duty to God. Duty to God. So point number one. Distressing circumstances. Please look with me once more, starting at verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, what we encounter at the very beginning of our text is another attempt in order to trap Jesus. Although this time they, 
they approach it in a very different manner, don't they? Right? they it's as if Jesus' opponents are, are throwing anything they can at the wall to see what sticks. Right? They've approached him and uh, hurt his, you know, tried to hurt his character. They've, they've laid accusations before his feet. They've, they've approached him angrily and with irritation by the things that he said and did. But none of what they did drew out the response or the reaction that they were hoping for so that they could accomplish their goal of destroying Jesus. So what do we see they do today? They try flattery. And who doesn't love a little flattery, right? Yet their flattering words are insincere words. What we need to see they are trying to do is get Jesus to to drop His guard so that Jesus would speak freely and kind of carelessly with them so that they might entrap Him. Now what's interesting in our text, or maybe what we might say is surprising in our text, is seeing the two groups that are together trying to entrap Jesus. It's the Pharisees and the Herodians working together. Remember a couple weeks back, they tried to trap Jesus in the temple. But that was the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. Those were all men who were working together for the same purposes, for the same goals, for the same ends. Those were men who were friends. But today what we see is that hatred for Jesus was so great that He brought foes together in order to bring Him down. Now the Herodians were a political party among the Jews who supported the Herodian dynasty, which ruled under Caesar over the Jews. Now the Pharisees despised Herod. Herod was was half Jew, and so one of the reasons they despised him is because he wasn't Jew enough. Another reason they despised him is because he did not observe the law strictly as they did. He was an immoral person. And Herod was almost a puppet of Rome to them. As the Pharisees were strict observers of the law, and the Pharisees wanted complete and total independence from any Roman rule. And so what we see here in these two groups coming together is really a, the forming of what we might call the odd couple. They, they have both different reasons for why they are there. Herod wants the tax. The Jews don't want the tax. They oppose the tax. They don't want to be under Roman rule. But what we see is they are willing to put aside these differences in order to rid themselves of Jesus, who they see as the greater problem or whom they see as the the greater threat. And so, the people or representatives of both of these these groups approach Jesus. And in an attempt to make Him feel as if He's talking to friendly faces, they begin by praising Jesus. They approach Him and they say, Teacher! This is a, a title of honor and respect. Master, teacher, rabbi. And then they begin to applaud Him and applaud His character as being true. Someone who doesn't care about anyone's opinion. Now what I want us to see is that this doesn't mean that Jesus is just rude and dismisses what everyone says. But it means that Jesus speaks truth without catering to the opinions of others. That's what they're saying. I'm sure we probably all know people who will say one thing in front of one group but wouldn't say it in front of another group. And why is that? Because they care about their opinion. They, they care what people think about them. They want their approval. They want their favor. And so they will not say certain things 
But what the Pharisees and the Herodians are, are pointing out and identifying in Jesus is that that's not true in Him. Jesus is concerned with truth. We see they also applaud Him for being impartial. Whether He's speaking to rich or poor, king or peasant, He only and always teaches God's way. The true way concerning faith and practice. But after buttering Him up now, they proceed to ask Him the question that they want Him to answer, which is the reason why they've approached Him today in our text. And they ask Him then this, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, I want us to see that this question is is very similar in style to the question that they, they asked at the temple when they said, whose authority is it that you do these things? Because those questions are meant to leave Jesus with no way out. Remember, we said if He answered the, the authority that He did those works by was His own, they would discredit Him. If He said they came from God, they would charge Him as a blasphemer. And we see the, the exact same thing happening in our text today. If Jesus says, pay the taxes, He very well could alienate Himself from all of the Israelites because they were strongly opposed to paying the tax. As this tax was a tax implemented by Rome as a tribute tax to Caesar that He placed on the people whom they conquered and ruled over. And so we see why the Jewish people hated it so much. They were forced to pay taxes to a a foreign and oppressive regime who occupied their land. And so they despised it. They didn't want to pay it. They believed it was an unjust tax and one that they were morally not obligated to pay. And so if Jesus says pay it, the Jewish leaders are hoping this this will be our chance. He's going to alienate himself from the Jewish people. We can lay hands on him, arrest him, because we don't have to fear what they're going to do anymore. Because they're not going to be on his side any longer. But on the other hand, if Jesus says, don't pay the tax, what's going to happen? Right? He's going to give the Herodians ammunition, isn't he? And now they're going to go back to the Roman governor and say, look at Jesus. He's denying the authority of Rome. He's, he's promoting insurrection by saying, not pay the tax. And yet even though this, this question asked to Jesus is a trap question, it is also a legitimate question. Right? It, is a, it is a question that, that all Christians need to know the answer to. Right? Should we fight back against our government if they are unjust, if they are unfair, if they are oppressive? Or should we obey them and do what they demand? And if we do what they demand, are we dishonoring God? If we do what they demand, are we ruining our Christian witness in the world? And the implication in the question in our text, is that you can't do both. The implication is, you either have to honor Caesar or honor God. And so we see the distressing circumstances the Jewish people are in, do we not? They are being oppressed. They are being made subject to foreign rulers, which they have no power to fight against. And so, what are they to do? Well, this leads us then to point number two, which is duty to Caesar. Look with me, please, starting at verse 15 once more. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. 
And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Here, Mark identifies that Jesus knows exactly what they're up to. This is why he says, Why do you put me to the test? This word test is the same word that is translated tempted in Mark chapter 1, verse 13, when Satan tried to tempt Jesus. He tried to test Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, why are you trying to do the work of Satan? Why are you trying to get me to disobey the will of my Father? Just as Satan tried to get me to disobey the will of my Father in the wilderness? As the Pharisees and the Herodians are trying to get an answer out of Jesus that would cause them in that very moment to lay hands on Him and to arrest Him? Yet Jesus, all the while, knowing now was not His time, and so He was not going to give them the answer that they desired. And so how does Jesus respond? Very cleverly. He responds very cleverly. He says, bring me a denarius and look at it. And they says, well, whose inscription is upon it? And they answered, Caesar's. Now a denarius was a, a small silver coin that was equivalent to one uh, day's pay for a laborer. And on the coin, on that small silver coin, which you would find on one side, is the image of the emperor. At this time, it was Tiberius. So you would find the image of Tiberius on one side with this inscription, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. On the flip side of the coin, which you would find is an image of the emperor sitting upon a throne with the inscription that says, Highest Priest. Now do we see why the Jews hated the Roman government so much? Not only were they forcing them to pay a tax after having conquered them, but the money they had to use to pay the tax declared Caesar to be divine, which was blasphemous to them. But Jesus does not just come out and say, pay the tax or don't pay the tax. But very craftily, I want you to see, He has them answer the question on their own. He says, whose image is stamped upon the coin? And they say, Caesar. They affirm that it's Caesar's coin. They affirm that it belongs to Caesar. So Jesus simply endorses what they have already confessed to be true. That since it belongs to Caesar, give it to Caesar. Right? It's Caesar's coin. So, so render to Caesar what is Caesar's as you have already acknowledged it to be his. Right? Jesus has them answer their own question. But it's here that we see Jesus' teaching on the Christian's obligation to the government being no different than the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 13? Since that's a little longer, I'll ask brothers and sisters if you would turn with me there. And we can look at that together. Romans chapter 13. 
And we'll read from verse 1 to verse 7. Here Paul writes this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good judgment or to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Right? What does Paul say? He says, obey your governing authorities. Honor them. For they have been placed there by God over you. Right? Paul says government is a divine institution. And so to not render it its due is to sin against God. This is what Jesus is saying here and saying render to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's not noble to resist Caesar. Rather, in resisting Caesar, you are resisting God. And there will be punishment for that, Paul says. Paul even says that those who rule over you in government are servants of God. That same word for servant can also be translated minister. They are God's ministers for you here on earth over the civil kingdom. And because of this, Paul says, you are to pay your taxes. Pay taxes to whom taxes is owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And so Peter, like Paul, like Jesus today, tell us as believers, we have a moral obligation to render to Caesar or for us to render to our president or our local authorities what is due to them because of the office they hold. That God and God alone has placed them in. And I know that for some of us, probably all of us, It's far easier to do this if we like who's in office. If we like where our tax dollars are going to. Then it's easy to to honor and to respect those in in government, isn't it? But what I want you to see is that neither Jesus, Peter, or Paul, at the end of their command to, to respect and obey and honor the government, ends with a but. I know that a lot of times Christians live as if there was a but at the end of the sentence. We wish there was a but at the end of the sentence. But there is no but at the end of the sentence. Jesus does not say, pay your taxes, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but 
If you don't agree where the tax is going, then you don't have to pay it. Neither does Jesus say, if the, if the king treats you well, if he's a real swell fellow, if he is honorable, if he's even a believer, then you honor, you respect him, you do all of your duty to him. But, if he's a wicked man, if he's an evil man, if he's an immoral man, then you can be disrespectful, then you can dishonor, and then you cannot render to him what is due. No, Jesus doesn't say that. Even many of us here would like Him to, but He does not say that. And we don't get to pick and choose where our money goes. We don't get to pick and choose who is the leader of our country. But regardless of who's in office, you are obligated to render to them honor and respect as our Lord has commanded you to. It's not a choice. Brothers and sisters, no, they will be accountable for what they do they will be accountable for where they spend your tax dollars. They will be accountable for how they rule over the people. They will be accountable for overstepping their bounds. But each of you are accountable for making sure that you are obedient to your government and that you honor them as citizens of that land. And what is that? What is due to them? What is it as Christians that we ought to Give back to those who are in authority over us. Well, as we said, honor and respect. For they are servants of God. When do we ever get to disrespect servants of God? Submission. We are to offer them submission to their rule as our governing authorities. Now, I also want us to be clear about something. Okay? We, also, we always have to bring balance. It does not mean that we must obey them in everything they say. If they tell us to sin against God, we don't obey. If they tell us we can't gather to worship, they don't have the right to do that. We don't have to obey. If they tell us we must inject our our bodies with something that we don't want to, we don't have to obey. If they tell us and try to step into our homes and tell us how we're going to raise our family, we don't have to obey. This is why, though, I want us to see we are qualifying the service and the obedience that we render to only that which is due. We only render the service due to them in their position and no more than that. So that what I am saying is whenever government rightly exercises their power and authority over you as God has ordained, you must obey. You must obey. They have been divinely instituted to protect the good, to punish the evil, to maintain order in society. And so we are to see them as our superiors in this regard. And we are to offer to them honor and respect and submission. One last thing that we offer to them is, is our love. We are, to, we are to love those in authority over us. And one of the ways in which we love those in authority over us is by praying for them. This is what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. To pray for kings and all people in high positions. And this ought to be the Christian's behavior toward every single leader, not just the ones in whom you agree with. Now, I think that we all agree upon this. I think that we all believe this. But the question is, is do you live this? Do you practice what you say you believe? Brothers and sisters, Christians ought to be the 
the best citizens of our society. Because we aren't to rebel. We aren't to speak evilly of our leaders. Right? We are to be praying for them. We are to be loyal and faithful subjects, obedient to them. And yet so many aren't. You can just look on social media and see it. All the ungodly things that are said about those who are in authority over us. Things unbecoming of Christians. And I want you to see that that is a violation of the fifth commandment. That is not how we are to treat our superiors or speak about those who are in authority over us. Other Christians, instead of honoring their leaders, are hoping to make the the government Christian so that we can make everyone else obey the Christian God. I want us to see how unbiblical that is as well. And how much that is exactly like what the Israelites were doing. The Israelites wanted to make Christ king. So what? So that he would topple over the government and that all the other nations would be subject to him on earth. That is what many Christians want today. The Christians to rule in governments everywhere and make everyone subject to God. That is not the role of the government. Peter and Paul are living during Nero's reign. Do you know who Nero is? One of the most infamously cruel leaders, and yet Peter and Paul never incite rebellion or revolution. They're never disrespectful to their leaders at all, even though they're killing Christians. That is because Peter and Paul understood the difference between the two kingdoms. They understood that the Gospel is to be proclaimed and to, and to proceed forth from the spiritual kingdom. Never do they attach the gospel to the civil kingdom because it's not the government's purpose. God's not building His church through civil government. Civil government cannot force anyone to believe. They maintain order by the sword for a time. But even that will soon pass away. And why is that? It's because they don't belong to the spiritual kingdom. And so we shouldn't try to make them belong to it. Neither does Scripture tell us that we are ever to place our hope and trust in government. Yes, we as Christians should and can get involved individually in the life of the government because we want to see government act as God has intended it to. Right? It's our duty to help promote that. And so we, we should vote. We, we should do things to help see God's intention for government being displayed. But we must realize, brothers and sisters, what government is here for and what it is not here for. And yet, as long as we are here and government is here, we are to render honor to it. And yet, even Jesus in His response tells us where that honor stops. Because it does stop somewhere. As He contrasts Caesar and God. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God. He says, the coin is Caesar, so give it to Caesar. Pay the taxes. And in doing so, you are honoring and respecting Caesar. But divine honor belongs to God and God alone. Not to Caesar. Here he's pointing out the the difference in the honor and the service that we are to render. One is to man, which we as Christians honor our parents with. We honor government officials with. We honor all of our leaders with. We honor our employers with. But the other is an honor and a respect and a devotion that we honor God with, who is our Lord, in a way in which we don't honor anyone else with. 
For it is to Him and Him alone that we are owing all things to. For it is in Him that we live and move and have our being. This leads us then to our third and final point this morning, which is duty to God. Now Jesus points out that obeying Caesar or obeying God is not an either-or decision, but it's rather a both-and. But, the government is always subordinate to God. If we obey the government, but if they tell us to disobey God, we don't listen. Right? We are to allow the government to order temporal things, but never get involved in eternal things. The spiritual kingdom and heavenly matters is none of the government's business. These things the Lord established, and He and He alone has right to rule over His spiritual kingdom. And I want us to see the reason why, because it's, it's really baked into the text. It's built into Jesus' answer to the Pharisees and the Herodians. He says, bring me a denarius. And He asks, whose likeness? Whose likeness? Whose inscription is on it? And they answer, Caesar's. What's the point Jesus is making there? Since Caesar's likeness is stamped upon the coin, it is Caesar's. Give it to him. It's his. But you who bear the likeness of God, who were made in the image of God that we read back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, give to God what belongs to God. That's the point Jesus is making here. Pay tribute to the government in temporal things, but pay tribute to God in all things. For God owns you. You are His. His image and His likeness is stamped upon you. And so it is to God and not Caesar that we owe ultimate allegiance to. And we render what is due to God by believing in God by trusting in God, by loving Him, by serving Him both body and soul, by worshiping Him and glorifying Him in every area and aspect of our life. And I want you to see, brothers and sisters, this is why church is so important. Because it's here that you see the image of God. It's here that you are primarily being conformed to the image of God through the proclamation of the Word and the administration of the sacraments and the fellowship of the saints. It's here, when we gather, we see the difference between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Governments have the, have the sword to compel people to conform to some type of behavior. But here in God's spiritual kingdom as we gather, the weapon we use is the Word. And it's the Word of God that compels the hearts of sinners to believe and obey. It's the Word of God. It's the proclamation of the Gospel that enables us to render to God what is due to God. This is why we must not look to the government in hope of making people Christian. We must look to Christ. Christ is our hope. Christ is the only hope for not only this country, but all countries. Right? Governments cannot change people's hearts. The moral law cannot change anyone's heart. The judicial law cannot change anyone's heart. Only Christ can change the hearts of sinners. By turning them, by softening them to receive the preached Word. 
And so it is our task not to force Christianity upon people through the government. This is why Jesus Himself says the kingdom of God is not of this world. This is why throughout all of Scripture, what are we called? Sojourners, aliens, foreigners in a land that is not our own. And so rather, we must be thinking like Abraham thought, who was looking forward to that city whose foundations and whose designer and builder are God. Abraham wasn't looking for an earthly kingdom. He was looking for the heavenly city. But that city is only for those in whom the image of God has been restored in by faith in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask you today, do you belong to that city? Has the image of God been renewed in you through faith in Christ? You will know that it has if you increase in knowledge. If you increase in holiness and in righteousness. For the Scriptures tell us these are the primary ways in which we have been made in the image of God. And so ask yourselves, do I serve God above all others? Is God my priority? Is God whom I dedicate my time to? Or am I constantly being drawn away by politics? With a proper view of government... When articulated by Jesus, Peter, and Paul, one should not be consumed with earthly matters or with what's going on in society. What we should be consumed with are eternal matters. This is the will of God for His people. That we be consumed with a desire to have communion with God every day. That we be consumed with a desire to know God better. That we be consumed to walk uprightly in this world and to obey God's every command. This is our duty that we must render before God. And just as all who were there marveled at what Jesus said, let us marvel too at what Jesus said. For just as the Pharisees attested to, He is true. And He truly teaches God's way not caring about the opinions of others. In God's way, brothers and sisters, is this. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask, Lord, that it would be a lamp unto our feet Lord, that You would illuminate Your people's heart and mind to Your Word and that You would cause us to live in a manner consistent with Your Word to the praise, the glory, and honor of Your name. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.